be with you tonight, and I have enjoyed the spirit in this church. I hope you don't take for granted, um, there's a lot of places in America don't have the spirit that you have tonight, and uh, I certainly pray, and I think it's going to be a good couple of days here. God has been good to us, and we're looking forward to this conference, an interesting theme, surrender. Uh, something tells me that uh, Satan is not going to be pleased with the choice of the theme here tonight, unless it was surrender to him. That's the only one he would enjoy. By the way, I'll just introduce myself. I'm Pastor Clear. I met some of you the other night, but um, I am a pastor back in the States in Rosemont, Minnesota. It's a suburb of Minneapolis and St. Paul area. And I've got a church of about four or 500 folks, and it's been our privilege to have supported a lot of missionaries. One of the missionaries we've supported uh, for many, many years, actually a couple of them are here tonight, and Marcia Kittleson and Rita Burns, I think you know them, but why don't you go ahead and stand, and uh, Marcia is from our church, and she's sent out from First Baptist Church, but these are missionaries, and of course they also were co-workers along with Pastor Steve and Lisa and the family uh, when they were up in the Midlands there in, in Market Harborough. And, uh, but it's also been our privilege to have known now Pastor Steve and, of course, his family for all of these years, and it, it's just a privilege. Uh, I count him as a friend. I count him uh, as somebody that I feel comfortable being around, not just simply, you know, there's some people you feel comfortable being around in church, but I feel comfortable being around him all the time. And uh, so he's just one of those guys that just, uh, I, I told him years ago, I said, I, I feel like we're brothers. You know, we kind of, you know, have that kind of a, an agreement on a lot of things, and it's just a privilege to be here with you tonight. I want you to take your Bible and turn to 1 Timothy chapter 4, and surrender is the theme, and you might be wondering, well, what do demonic strongholds have to do with surrender? They have everything to do with it, and uh, you know, I, I thought about this because as I was growing up, I was, I grew up in a, in a Baptist church. I was uh, in church from day one. Uh, I was uh, saved at the age of four and a half. I was very, very young, but I came to know Christ the Savior as just a child growing up. Uh, I came through the nursery, the beginner department, put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ as a child. By the way, I believe that Jesus even said that to children, for such is the kingdom of heaven, and I believe that the children can be saved. I, uh, I was, uh, grew up in the church. I was in the youth group, graduated from a Christian school, went off to Bible college. And uh, after then seminary, uh, of course, uh, married by that time, came back to Rosemont, Minnesota, and I was a youth pastor beginning in 1987. This is going to be my 25th year finishing up, being in the ministry 10 years as a pastor. And, uh, you know, I'd always heard about the devil. I'd always heard about demons. I'd always heard about all of these things and, and believed they were true. Something about actually being in the ministry that really brings it to life. I, I can remember just a couple of years into my time there at Rosemount that, that we had a revival meeting. During that revival meeting, there was a lady, young lady, who God spoke to her heart, and she had some very occultic music, some music that was definitely connected with Satanism, and, and, and God spoke to her heart to get rid of that. And she came to me, I was the youth pastor, and she said, Pastor, would you please help me? She said, I, I just need somebody who can get rid of this stuff. And, 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 and I said, sure, I'd be happy to do that. And so she brought me a big bag. It was amazing what the devil had in her life. 
And she said, all of this stuff has to go. I want you to get rid of it. I don't want it around. And I can remember taking that bag, and I was so busy in the ministry, and I can remember you know, thinking, well, I don't know what to do, and I put the bag out in our bus garage. We have a garage in uh, kind of a, a, a dock there that we uh, work on buses, and it's a, kind of a, 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 almost like a barn. And, and, and so I put the tapes out there in the bus garage overnight, and the next day I intended to go and find some place and, and burn them and, and, and get rid of them you know, properly. And, and so I uh, got up the next morning. And I can remember, again, I got busy. Now, I kid you not, it, what, what I did that day, I always liked to sing. I love your music, by the way. But I loved to sing, and I had a song in my heart. And, and, and I can remember I had that bag of tapes, and I was de- determined I was going to get rid of it that day. We had an old church van, and I had some errands to run that day, and I put this bag in the van, and while I'm driving around, not getting to what I needed to do, but just running a bunch of errands, I can remember I was singing in my heart the old hymn, Leaning on the Everlasting Arms. And I was singing about, about of course, leaning on Christ, leaning, leaning, and uh, leaning on the everlasting arms. I was singing that all day long. And that was just, I, I oftentimes like to do that. Just pick out one song. Just sing it over and over again. Let it sink in deep. And while I had those, 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 that music there in, the, in that van, I, I was singing that song, but I got so busy I forgot to get rid of the tapes. And I was working later at night. And I can remember I was in my office at about 1 o'clock in the morning and it's dark outside, and outside of the church, uh, at that time there was a bunch of pine trees. The road actually curved right around by the church, and there were a bunch of pine trees that were right there by the entrance of the church, the, the office entrance. And about 1 o'clock in the morning, I'll never forget that I was getting ready to leave. I had a busy day. It was uh, right in the midst of the summer activities, and I was the youth pastor. I had camp, vacation, Bible time. I had several trips. I was gone several weeks out of the summer. And so 1 o'clock in the morning, I went to go outside the, the door, the outer door, and I can remember it was uh, just a strange night and, and dark outside, of course, you know, 1 o'clock in the morning, and my car is over there in the parking lot. And as I got outside of the door, suddenly I realized there's somebody outside. There's somebody outside. And, and, and I sensed that it was a girl a young lady, probably about 18, 19, 20 is what I imagine. And, and, and I can remember she was in shorts and like a halter top or something like that. And she's walking away. But again, this is a church parking lot. There's not like a lot of uh, things around us. There's a school, but everything, we're kind of disconnected from everything else. And, and so to have somebody that's walking through my church parking lot at 1 o'clock in the morning, and it's a young lady at 1 o'clock in the morning just to... That, that was startling enough. And I can remember I yelled to her and I said, Hey, you, stop. Who are you? And I yelled at her. I said, Stop. Who are you? And, and, and she didn't answer. And I got a little bit upset. You know, I'm authoritative. And, boy, I wanted to make sure you're on my property here with the church. And I, I want to make sure, you know, I find out for preacher who this is. And so I yelled at her one more time, and I said, hey, stop, I mean it, you stop right there. And, and there's no car that she's going to, she's just walking into the trees. And after the second time of me yelling at her, all of a sudden she stopped, she pivoted, she turned around and began walking back toward me. Never saying a word. 
But the very next thing that happened without saying, she never said a word, but the very next thing froze me in my tracks. And I'm, I kid you not, scared me to death. She began to hum a song. You know what song? Leaning on the everlasting arms. And it was as clear as a bell. All of a sudden, and, and instantly I remembered being in the van by myself with all this bag of this music in the van by myself. And, 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 and I kid you not, I was so scared. I, I mean, here I'm a youth. I'm supposed to be, you know, fearless, you know, facing the devil and everything. But uh, all of a sudden, I found myself, I ran back inside the, the, the building, I locked the door, I went into my office, I locked that door, I picked up the phone, it's 1 o'clock in the morning, I called my pastor, I said, preacher, what do I do? He said, call the police. By the way, he forgot to say pray, <laughs> but he said, call the police. <laughs> when you're woken up 1 o'clock in the morning, you don't always think the first thing. But you know, ever since then, I have had a, an appreciation for the fact that there is a real devil and that there is a desire on his part to have each and every one of us. I want you to notice what the Bible says here. In 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse number 1, notice it says, now, the Spirit, by the way, notice that is capitalized, I think appropriately, because that's the Holy Spirit. Now, the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times, latter times, Paul believed he was living in the later times, and if Paul was living in the later times, how much more later it is now, and so he's speaking about, as time goes on, I want you to be reminded, by the way, if you know your scripture, you know that Paul, later on in 2 Timothy chapter 2, and verse number 13, said that evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse. So he says here that in the latter times, some shall depart from the faith. Some shall depart from the faith. Now, by the way, he doesn't say everybody. He doesn't even say most. He says some. But he says some shall depart from the faith. Now, I have to tell you that I'm one of those preachers that I, when, I, I'm, a, I'm a Bible student nut. And my folks know it because I, I study the Bible quite a bit. And, and, and I, I spend lots and lots of times, and I'm a quizzical preacher, but I don't just simply... Uh, believe oftentimes just simply because somebody said it was the, this way. I'm one of those Berean Christians that I search the Scriptures daily to make sure it's so. And, and when you read this phrase here, you know, the very common interpretation is when it says some shall depart from the faith. You know, depending upon your theological disposition, uh, some will say that the Arminian is going to say that that means somebody lost their salvation. And they say that it means that somebody is actually departing. By the way, as if you actually um, controlled your salvation once you gave it to, to Christ, once you received Christ as Savior. Now, I'm so glad, by the way. I, I'm not, I, I also don't uh, turn to this 
this Calvinistic approach either that says that God is so much in control that He doesn't allow you to choose. But here, to think that actually we could lose... Our, I'm so glad I can't lose myself. I lose a lot of things. I lost my phone on Monday night. It's buried in the deepest snowbank somewhere by the airport in Minneapolis-St. Paul. That's what I think. It fell out of my pocket. And I think it's buried. It's, it's lost. You know what? I can lose a cell phone. But I'm so thankful that when I trusted Christ the Savior, I can't be lost because He'd have to be the one losing me. I don't think that when it says some shall depart from the faith, I don't think that's talking about losing your salvation. You see, actually, that phrase there, the faith, is a general term for everything you believe. The faith. Listen, you actually believe a lot of things, not just simply salvation. If you're, hopefully, by the way, tonight you're saved. But if you're saved, you believe the right thing about salvation, but you believe more than just simply what gets you to heaven. There's an awful lot of, of other things that we believe, and we believe very strongly, and technically all of those things combined make up a body that we call the faith. Therefore, if you ever leave or depart from any of it, you have departed from the faith. It says, now the Spirit speaketh expressly, that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith. You know, I think that's true. In fact, I know it's true. Uh, there's a lot of people that depart from that body of faith in different ways. Sometimes they depart morally. Sometimes they depart in their practice, in their habits. There's a lot of people started New Year's resolutions and they've already departed from that faith, from what they believed they were going to do for the entire year. Sometimes it is departing from your standards. Sometimes it is departing from what you called your convictions. And by the way, I would suggest to you that if you departed from it, it really wasn't so much a conviction. You see, we change. And I want you to understand something here tonight. Because I've had a lot of time to observe different people and I've also had time to observe a lot of pastors, Pastor Steve. And, and you know, the, the discouraging thing is that I've seen a lot of pastors depart from the faith. If pastors depart from the faith, they pull, tend to pull a lot of church people with them. That's why, by the way, you need to pray for your pastor. That's why you need to support your pastor. Because, in a sense here, he's like a tall tree. And Satan's gunning for the tall tree because if the tall tree falls, then he falls on everybody else. Some shall depart from the faith. You know, one of the things that I have figured out, and that is that there's always this competition that's going on. And it's between two parts of us. It is our belief and our behavior. Our belief is what we say we trust. Our behavior is our actions. You know, I find that it is true that uh, sooner or later, one of these is going to win. And sadly, you know what the majority of the time it is? It's your behavior. It's how you behave. You cannot coincide being a hypocrite forever. And eventually, how you behave is going to win out. Eventually, how you behave is going to dominate. Eventually, how you behave is going to be the thing that's actually going to overtake your belief and you'll change your belief now sad but that's the way that it often happens you see there are many people who used to 
say the church was important. But listen, they end up having a behavior that, well, this is also important and that is important. It's not long before all of a sudden they start making a choice and you never see them in church. There's changing that takes place all the time. Now, I've seen this. And I, I can always sense it. You know, the people that they are just... That there's something about them that is just itching to get in trouble. They look to me sometimes in church like spiritual zombies. I remember uh, there's a young man that was in our church here. He grew up in our church and grew up in a divorced home, but his mom and actually his dad both were in our church for a long time. And they had a desire for him to turn out right. And I can remember I had a lot of opportunities to counsel this teenage boy for many, many years. And I can remember... As he turned 18, he told me prior to his 18th birthday, Pastor, listen, I want to serve the Lord. I want to do it's right. Tears streaming down his cheeks. I said, that's great. That's great, Nick. And I said, I'll pray with you. I'll pray for you. But something about when he turned 18 and all of a sudden he had some freedom. He worked a job around a lot of unsaved kids. Those unsaved kids rubbed off on him. And pretty soon, he was not so excited about coming to church. And all of a sudden, he began to, in fact, I've got a couple of staff members that were trying to befriend him and try and pull him in. And and you might even see that sometimes in your church as well. You can literally sense the people that are on their way out. They've got one foot out, one foot in. You see, sooner or later, your behavior and your belief are going to collide. One of them is going to win out. And sad, but many times, it is the behavior. Listen, that's exactly what Jesus said when he said in Matthew 6 and verse number 24 that no man can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. Ye cannot serve God and mammon. He said you can't do it. You can't, you, you, you're going you're gonna to have one of them is going to win out. See, that's why this Conference is so important. Hopefully you will choose the faith. It might be in a moral situation, such as a marriage relationship. I've talked to a lot of, um, I do a lot of counseling. I do a lot of, right now I think I'm, I'm counseling four young couples that are planning on getting married in the next couple of months. Four of them. I, I do this all the time. And whenever I bring them in and whenever they get married, whenever I have anything to do with their wedding, they are going to sit there and they are going to have six hours at least of counseling. And I teach them everything I can, nuts and bolts. They get a personal approach. I find out what their weaknesses are. I even deal with those. But six hours. You know, I can tell you that before there is ever a situation with a husband or a wife cheating on their spouse. There was a problem between behavior and belief a long time before that. Nobody falls overnight. I'm dealing with a couple of situations in my church right now. I'm dealing with one situation. Uh, For many, many years we had a youth pastor in our church. He was the one that took over for me. and, and, And here back last year, I got the phone call. He was pastoring another church. He had left our church, gone to another church, had been pastoring it. And I got the phone call one day 
when it was told to me the sad news that he had carried on an affair with an unsaved woman he had met at a night job, not even a church, but a night job that, uh, that, that had nothing to do. She had nothing to do with the Lord. She didn't go to church. She wasn't even saved. He carried on the affair. And the sad thing was when I brought him into my office and I asked him, listen, don't you want to repent? Don't you believe this is wrong? He said, no. He said, I'll choose her rather than my wife. How does that happen? You know, that doesn't happen overnight. There is something that's going on there. You, you see, we, we, we think about love. And, and, and I like what Dr. John Rice, great, great Bible teacher, he was the editor of the Sword of the Lord for many years, the founder of it, ministry of, of publication in, in the States. And Dr. John Rice one time was in his home with his wife and one day his wife came over to him, and, and Dr. Rice had these glasses. He always slid down to the end of his nose. And one day he was probably reading the paper and is sitting in the chair, and his wife came over to him and had one of those moments that she wanted to hear the romantic words. She wanted to know and just be reminded. And she said, John, she said, do you love me? He said, I sure do. She thought, great, here it comes. And she said, Why? And he said something to her that just sucked the romance out of the room. He said, because the Bible said to. She said, that's not very romantic. He said, no. He said, but it doesn't change because it's dependent upon God. He actually had the right answer. See, I hate this phrase, well, we have fallen out of love. You know what, if you fall in and out, it, it's, it's like getting on a horse and getting off a horse. You can fall off of a horse, I understand that. But listen, you're not supposed to do that with love. Love is not meant to be an emotion that's like a roller coaster. Love is meant to be a commitment. It's meant to be something that you commit to. You know, Jesus taught us that long before there is the fall, there is another kind of a fall. In, in Matthew chapter 5, when he was talking about his Sermon on the Mount, he said, you have heard that it had been said of those of old time, thou shalt not commit adultery. He said, but I say unto you, whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath already committed adultery with her in his heart. You know what he was saying? He was saying that there is a progression, and this progression is... It has something to do with demonic strongholds. You see, I, I can tell you that there's a lot of good intentions. I, we, we have a lot of um, young people in our church. And, 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 and I will tell you, especially with the young people, you start getting into some of those teenage years and the young adult years, there's a lot of pressure on you. There's a lot of pressure. And there's a lot of pressure for you to... In fact, there, there was several years ago, there was an article written by... a high school girl and the girl was writing a, a lady in, in a newspaper a counseling article dear Abby and she was writing Abby and she said dear Abby she said I'm a high school senior I'm still a virgin she said it's an awful thing to be still a virgin as a high school senior she said can you counsel me who should I pick to lose my purity with I've got several boys in my school which one you know, there used to be a day here not too many decades ago that there was a stigma with losing your purity. Now the stigma seems to be 
keeping your purity. And you know what I really am concerned about, especially the young people of today, because the pressure's out there, the billboards, the uh, newspapers, they are, all of the advertisements, they're all towards trying to bring them down. Listen, that's not of God, that's of Satan. He's trying to do that. I know of a lot of people. Again, I, I could put names to everything I'm telling you here tonight. I could tell you people who used to have a strong conviction. They, they, they came to church like our church or your church, and they said, oh, pastor, listen, King James Version, King James Version, King James Version. You know, strange, you know, I mean, the strongest people sometimes with that conviction can oftentimes end up going to churches, and, and, and all of a sudden they no longer have that as being important. Oh, God's leading me now somewhere else. As if God is changing. As if God is changing his mind. And, you know, the same could be true with a lot of different things. And, and, and I'm not here to talk about all sorts of issues, but, but I do wanna, want you to notice in these verses here that it says some shall depart from faith, but notice how they do it. It says they give heed, or giving heed, to what? Seducing spirits. Seducing spirits. You see, and, and, and again, I, I happen to believe that he is talking here to believers that is, those who know Christ as Savior. You, you read in the Bible, by the way, there's a lot of examples of this. Uh, for instance, Peter. Peter was the one that always had his foot in his mouth. Peter one time said, oh, though everybody else forsake you, you know, I'll never do it, I, I, I'll die for you. He said, I'll never, be careful what you say you will never do. Very next breath, He's denying Christ three times in the cock crew. And, and all of a sudden there was this, this, him going out and weeping bitterly. And all of a sudden there was a lot of regret, a lot of repentance, a lot of tears shed. He was very sad, very uh, discouraged, very much uh, defeated. Now, what happened? One moment he's on the top of the mountain. The next one he's at the bottom of the valley. By the way, was Peter saved when he did that? Yes. I have people all the time that you know, ask me this question. Um, well, can a Christian commit suicide? My opinion is, yes, they can. Now, they'll never do it being right with God. Just like, you'll, just like you know, if the last act that somebody did was to rob a bank, or last act that somebody did was to, uh, you know, to uh, uh, hurt somebody in some other way, and, you know, to abuse somebody, if that was the last act they ever did, they wouldn't be right with God either. Suicide is a sin, but I believe Christians, in fact, I, I happen to know, and Pastor Steve and I, we both know of pastors even, and, and even dedicated Christians. I, I've, had fo I've got a family in my church that they had a son who committed suicide. I, I happen to believe that it's possible for a Christian to do that, but listen, how does that happen? That doesn't just simply happen overnight. There's a lot of things that Christians end up choosing that are not right. And it doesn't happen overnight. Notice seducing spirits. Now, in your notes that I gave you tonight, does everybody, by the way, have the notes? Anybody need a copy here tonight? Okay, we've got a couple over here. Zach, you got some? Good. Here's my buddy Zach. He's going to run back over to that side here. We want to make sure that you get a copy so you can follow along here tonight. A seducing spirit in the back here. A seducing spirit you want to write in your notes here is this. 
I believe a seducing spirit is a roving spiritual tramp who is looking for a home. A roving spiritual tramp who is looking for a home. I mean, I know in the States we used to call them tramps, people that were outside, you know, didn't have a home, but they may be just looking to get inside somebody's home. Uh, they may be going from place to place, and they may be looking to get in, and, and oftentimes to do no good, but a roving spiritual tramp looking for a home. First Timothy 4 says that in the latter times which we are living in, some will depart from the body of what they believe the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits. Now, I want you to take your Bible and turn to Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12. You with me so far? I, I, I know the other night I, I began, because I have so much I need to give you, I begin to talk faster and sometimes I, I leave you behind. I do that with my church. The, the one person I always pity in my church is the deaf interpreter. You should see them in my church. They're just kind of going like this. They're just trying to communicate in some way, and all of a sudden I can just see that it's like their hands are on fire. <laughs> They're trying to blow them out, and I'm just going faster and faster and faster. But I want you to notice in Matthew chapter 12, again, what I'm going to teach you here tonight is outside of the realm of what most of us have thought. Again, it's outside of the realm of, for many, many years, what I thought as far as demons and uh, uh, as far as the devil was concerned notice in verse number 43 what jesus said when the unclean spirit is gone out of a man he walketh through dry places seeking rest and findeth none then he saith i will return unto my house from whence i came out and when he is come he findeth it empty swept and garnished then goeth he and taketh with himself seven other spirits more wicked than himself and they enter in and dwell there. And here's what Jesus said, And the last state of that man is worse than the first, even so shall it be also unto this wicked generation. Now, you, you, we need to understand that unclean spirits are continually on the prowl. By the way, just like their master. You see, their master is Satan himself, who the Bible says is as a roaring lion, walking about seeking whom he may devour. So it just stands to reason the unclean spirits, all of the demons that are underneath him, they also are like him. And, and you remember the story of Job. Uh, God said to, jo said to Satan, said, where are, have you been? He said, going to and fro. He's busy. Listen, he doesn't, he doesn't ever take a nap. He doesn't ever take time off. There's no vacation time for him. And there's none for his spirits, his seducing spirits. Notice, they are called unclean spirits. They are unclean spirits. Now, I, I want to just tell you again, because we have, and, and the approach that I'm going to take here is because I'm going to bypass. Oftentimes, when you think about demons and about Satan's ministry, you oftentimes think in two terms. You think of possession and oppression. Possession, and by the way, I do happen to believe uh, that there is such thing even today as possession. I have met some people I believe were possessed. By the way, I do not believe a Christian can be possessed by a demon. 
I happen to believe that when you got saved, the Holy Spirit came to live inside of you and put a big no vacancy sign on your heart. There's no room. You can't have the Holy Ghost and the unclean spirit at the same time. There is possession and oppression, but there's a common term that is also being used today. And that common term that is coming out now in many circles is the term demonization. And that term is basically, in a sense here, bypasses whether it's possession or oppression. The point is this. When you look at verse number 43, it says, when the unclean spirit has come out of a man, I know the common interpretation is we're talking about his body, but technically, again, we are broadening our thoughts here because I think it's proper. The faith is not simply talking about what everybody used to think, you know, just salvation, but faith is anything you believe. Well, out of a man, technically, anything that is in your life is part of the man. Technically, anything that is part of you. I'm not talking about your body now. I'm talking about everything. That you, you've got far more than that. You've got a family. That you've got a business. You've got a church. That you, you've got friends. That you've got relatives. You've got a lot of things that make up your life. And if we can, in a sense here, just understand it a little bit differently, I think we are correct. And I believe that's the point that Jesus was making here. He wasn't talking, I believe, about possession as much as He was just simply demons being in your life. He says that when you, you have this unclean spirit go out of a man, he said, and, and by the way, I want to even submit to you that the Bible talks about the Bible talks about that it is very possible for you to have Satan involved in your life. After all, Peter said that he said, Wherefore gird up the loins of your mind. He said, Be sober, hope to the end. Why? Because if you do not do not have your loins or your mind girded up, you are going to open yourself up to satanic influence in your life. Remember, in fact, take your Bible and turn to Luke chapter 22. Get ahead of myself a little bit here. Luke chapter 22. Let me show you. Again, going back to that man, Peter. Here's a man who had just been technically in church. Now, by the way, he had slept through the prayer service. When he denied Christ. You realize you can be in church and not get a whole lot out of it? Peter did. He slept through the whole thing. Jesus said, watch and pray. But notice what Jesus said to him right prior to that. Luke chapter 22, and verse number 31. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. I'll just simply point out that the words there are italicized, at least in my Bible, to have, basically meaning they were added for the help of the translators, felt like you needed them. But if you take them out, Literally, the translated words are, Simon, Simon, Satan had desired you. You. Everything about you. Again, was Satan or what was was Peter saved? Yes, he was. Was Peter in church? Yes, he was. In fact, Peter had he, he you you could even say he had a position. He was one of the disciples. He was one of the inner circle. He even would have been, you know, considered almost like, you know, uh, part of the pastoral staff or maybe even the deacons or, you know, some of the leadership within that church. Uh, he had fellowshiped with Jesus. He had seen many miracles. In fact, he even saw a miracle 
uh, after he messed up, you remember he wakes up from his deep sleep and all of a sudden he gets his sword in his hand, chops off an ear. And one last miracle, Jesus takes that ear and puts it back on the man, fixes what Peter has messed up, and in spite of that, Peter goes out and denies Christ. See, Satan got what he wanted. What did he want, Peter? Jesus said it very accurately. He said, Satan had desired you. I would submit, Satan's not satisfied with just simply having gotten Peter 2,000 years ago. I would submit that if Jesus were talking to us tonight, he'd say, and Satan had desired you, and you, and you, and you, and you, and me. He's, he's desiring us. Now, I'll just simply point it out to you, but you notice, by the way, the next verse is so comforting. Because right after Jesus warned Peter that Satan desired him, what did Jesus do? And this is, you, 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 you'll, you'll appreciate this here in a couple of days if you're here on Sunday night. Notice what Jesus said to Peter in verse number 32. He said, but I have prayed for thee. But I have prayed for thee. You know, that's interesting that here, in a sense here, you see Jesus seeing ahead of time that Satan wanted to seduce one of his own disciples. He spotted it. See, Jesus knows how the devil acts. He knows how the seducing spirits act. That's why when you have this verse in 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy 4, verse 1, the Spirit speaketh expressly. You know what? You can mark it down. God knows the devil better than any preacher. When you get saved, that does not exempt you from Satan's interest in your life. Yeah, actually, he redoubles his efforts. And his demons, those seducing spirits, tirelessly, Jesus was giving an illustration, I believe, uh, for us, warning us. He's giving this to his disciples. He's saying, hey, listen, if there's an unclean spirit inside of a man, and that unclean spirit somehow leaves that man, but that man doesn't do something about it, boy, he's going to bring back with him seven more seductive spirits. Again, what does Paul say in 2 Timothy? Evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse. It's going to be more seductive. I would submit to you, have you noticed in the last ten years the seduction has dialed up? The seduction. Now, that's why, by the way, the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 4, it says in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse number 26, Be angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon their wrath. And then it says something interesting in verse 27. It says, Neither give place to the devil. Neither give place. You know that that phrase there, neither give place, is actually a military term. Neither give military ground to the devil. You see, we're going to be talking now about strongholds. Take your Bible and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Strongholds. Military. We need to think militarily. Because it is a battle. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, I want you to notice in verse number 4, the Bible says, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty, through God to the pulling down, and here it is, of strongholds. 
It's a phrase there that is found some ten times in the Bible, including you go back into the Old Testament. One of the first times it appears is actually in 2 Samuel chapter 5 and verse number 7, where the Bible says that David very properly captured Jerusalem and made Jerusalem, Zion, made it a stronghold. Now, what exactly is a stronghold? In your notes, a stronghold is a castle, a fortress. It is usually behind enemy lines from which the enemy can launch the most aggressive attacks. A stronghold, a castle, a fortress behind enemy lines from which the enemy can launch the most aggressive attacks. You know, I, I would use as an illustration, I come from, a, of course, the United States. And in my country, uh, our, our government, and we can debate this whether or not it's right or wrong, but, but we have bases it, right now, it is said, in over 150 different countries. 150 countries. Now, why would the United States of America have bases all over the world? So that they can have strongholds. Now, we can debate, by the way, whether or not it's... And right now, I tell you what, they're having politically debates about everything. But there is a debate about that, and there's a certain Republican candidate that would like to get rid of all of the strongholds. And that, that's neither here nor there. This isn't a political sermon. But if you can understand... See, I can remember growing up, and I used to play once in a while, a little board game called Stratego. Any of you remember that? I know some of you, you're in the video age, and so I'm in your thinking, Strode, what? Stratego, okay, so some of you know what that is. It's a board game, and basically your objective is you've got two armies, and you've got these pieces that you're constantly moving, and there's different levels. There's you know, different levels in the military. There's also scouts, and, and of course my favorite, the bombs. And you, know, you place these up, but what's, what's the basic uh, objective? It's to try and get yourself planted and get a stronghold somewhere as deep in enemy territory, close to their flag, why? You want to capture that flag. You want to capture them. You want to, you want to captivate them. Listen, Satan does the same thing to us. He tries to get in. Now, enemy territory for him is what belongs to God. That, that's why I will tell you this. Probably his best objective is if he can get deep enough to get right inside this church. And get right into your lives. If he can do that, listen, there's a bunch of people tonight, they're not thinking about church, they're not thinking about God. Uh, that, that's the last thing in the world. It's a Friday night, Friday night, end of the week. They're probably thinking about partying. They're probably thinking about living it up the weekends before them. They're not thinking at all about that. Here you are in church. I, I guarantee you, if I was Satan, I would think this way. I'd try and get as deep in enemy territory as I could. That's what a stronghold is. Now, the, the average... Christian doesn't think this way. But we're going to talk about strongholds and tomorrow night I'm going to show you from the Scripture the 18 doors that we open up that let the spirits in. The 18 doors that we open up that let the spirits in. But now I want you to turn in your Bible to Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5. And here we have a story of a wretched man who had, uh, he had actually a hundred seducing or unclean spirits who had strongholds in his life. And now the scripture here, of course, it does say that they possessed him. And we're going to kind of bypass that. 
because actually it doesn't matter whether it's possession, oppression, demonization. It doesn't matter whether the demon's just involved in your life or in, you know, in, in the church. We might even say it's involved in your friendships. Uh, you know, it, it, it's the same. It comes out the same. There are five characteristics. And, and I can tell you because this is how I have viewed, oftentimes even with, in, within my church, I can tell when somebody has been opening up a door to, to a seducing spirit. Again, seducing because they want to get in so they can develop a stronghold. So how, how do we know that somebody has been seduced by a seducing spirit? I want you to notice in, in Mark chapter 5, and beginning in verse number 2 here, notice the first characteristic is, here's a man, he was possessed. This is, of course, the maniac, the maniac of Gadara. Notice it says, and when he was come out of the ship, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit who had his dwelling among the tombs. Notice this, and no man could bind him, no, not with chains. Okay, notice number one, he was uncontrollable. He was uncontrollable. You see, people who have a seducing spirit in their lives refuse to be restrained. They refuse to be restrained. And, and I would even submit, we do have a couple of the kids here. I, I would submit, kids, listen, you want to make sure that you always have an open heart to your mom, to your dad, and to God. To your mom, your dad, and God. Oh, I could tell you stories. Oh, as a youth pastor for nine years, I dealt with this on a daily basis. And I'd oftentimes see some of these teenagers, and by the way, they were sweet when they were kids. Stay sweet. They become a teenager, and all of a sudden, they don't want mom and dad telling them what to do. I'll be honest, that they didn't want me, the youth pastor, telling them what to do. And I'd try and get them to obey, submit. I can remember one time I had a, boy, I had a real fit. I had, uh, Brother Steve, I had a missions trip that I took to Barbados. Now, by the way, don't ever go to a place that is so beautiful as Barbados and say it's going to be a missions trip. Now with teenagers. I had 32 of them. We flew to Barbados. You know what they wanted to do? Go to the beach. I said, hey, time to go to the schools. We're going to go give the gospel out here. Hey, we're going to go hand out some trash. Hey, we're going to want to do this. <clears throat> I had one girl, and this girl... She was rebellious. She was rebellious. And right there, while I am thousands of miles away from home, she had very subtly gone throughout the youth group there on the island at night, and she had turned about half of the youth group against me. I found myself actually with a full-blown rebellion in the middle of a missions trip trying to get the gospel out. I had to call her dad up. I had to call her mom up and tell them, listen, your daughter is causing problems. Your daughter's not submitting. Your daughter's been telling all these other kids some things, and we've got a real problem. I honestly contemplated canceling the rest of the trip and getting an early flight to come home. What happened? Seducing spirit. You see, as soon as you have that, oh, I'll tell you what, Pastor Steve, you see sometimes in church, again, I talked the other night, I wish everybody could have heard this, but I talked about the spiritual gifts. And, 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 and pastors are so misunderstood 
when they are simply trying to conduct the spiritual orchestra. And, and now I know there are some pastors who are dictators, but, but your pastor's not one of them. Your pastor's not one of them. And, and I've seen time and time again where all of a sudden I, I've had people, I've had people yell at me, I've had people cuss me out. I mean, people who were in church all of a sudden. I remember one guy, he got so mad, he came and he was working with the children's group and he was doing this and that and he came and threw his book down and said, I quit, I'm not going to do that anymore. I said, well, God bless you, thank you. I can remember one of the things I encountered back about 20 years ago, we had some people in our church that only came during the Sunday morning service but they had been granted positions where they were working with the children. By the way, I happen to believe that's wrong. If you don't have a time that you are being fed, then don't feed somebody else. And I can remember when I found out about that, I came to them and said, hey, listen, you know, I'm so glad that you're working. And they, they wouldn't come to Sunday school. They never came back Sunday night. They never came back Wednesday night. But I can remember I went to them and I said, listen, it just doesn't seem right here. It seems like you need some feeding too. And listen, all of us, we need the Word of God. And I said, I want to invite you back Sunday. No, I can't do that. I want to invite you back Wednesday. Night. No, I can't do that. Well, listen, how about coming to Sunday? No, I can't do that. I said, then I can't have you working in children's church. You know what they decided to do? Leave the church. Leave the church. You, you know what their problem was? Their problem was they had allowed a seducing spirit. See, you're uncontrollable. That, that's a sign. Because see, Satan always wants to get you uncontrolled. This guy here was wild. It says no man could, could bind him. That they had tried to bind him, not even with chains. I would submit to you, by the way, that when you do not allow God and God's man to help you, you will be chained by Satan. You know where addictions come from? Addictions come when you choose the wrong master. They come when you choose the wrong master. You see, I, 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 just last week, just last week, I sat in a courtroom sat behind a wife and a young man, father of four children, who had grown up in our church, who was in, they were both in the youth group, both graduated from our Christian school, but after high school, they drifted off. They got married, had four children, two years ago, on Christmas Eve. This man had a few drinks and got behind the wheel of his car his children being in the vehicle and just was driving to a party when an elderly couple pulled out in front of him he struck their vehicle and the man was killed by the way since that day and he came back to our church we've got a program to help people with addictions called reformers unanimous he came back for a month doesn't attend our church anymore but he came back for a month but this is what he said on wednesday he said he said since that day he said i regret it 
He said this to the judge. He said, I've not had anything to drink, nor will I ever again in my life. But he's in jail. He's in jail. In fact, the judge, I, I think, was actually merciful to him. He's going to be in jail for the next 18 months. He's going to be under court supervision for 13 years. See, when you do not choose God as your master, you by default get Satan. That's where addictions come from. He, he was uncontrollable. Secondly, I want you to notice in the story, second thing that he did was he mutilated or marked himself. He mutilated or marked himself. Notice again in verse number 3, who had his dwelling among the tombs, and no man could bind him, no, not with chains, because that he had been often bound with fetters and chains, and the chains had been plucked asunder by him, and the fetters broken in pieces. Neither could any man tame him. And always, it says, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying and cutting himself with stones. Cutting himself. That's a real problem, by the way, today. A lot of knives, a lot of mutilating, a lot of people. We, we find this is on the rise. We have to deal with it even in our ministry and in our school and in our church. People that all of a sudden find themselves. Uh, I've got one girl pulling out her hair. Uh, I've got another girl uh, that I dealt with at camp here about a year ago. And she's trying to cut herself. She's one of my camp workers, and I find her cutting herself at night. Why would somebody destroy themselves? Because they've allowed a seducing spirit in. They've allowed a seducing spirit in. You see, I believe that's an indication. Mutilating and marking themselves. You need to understand something, by the way, in the... In the terminology that, that I understand this, did you know that a mark in the Bible always involves ownership? It indicates ownership. Do you go back? By the way, there's, marks are not always bad. For instance, you go back in the Old Testament, the Bible talks about the bond servant, the bond slave. The bond slave would voluntarily allow the lobe of his ear to be pierced, to be broken through, and a hole to be placed there. And basically that was a sign that he had deferred and offered voluntarily to have his master be his master for life. He was becoming a bond by bond, becoming a slave for life. He said, I love this master. I want him the rest of my life. You even find Paul using that same terminology in the New Testament, he said, I'm a bond slave for Jesus Christ. It's one of the things that bothers me about the world today and the culture. It seems like there's all sorts of markings. Everybody's got to get marked. I, I get tired of watching some of these athletic events, and, and you can't see the person through all of the tattoos the piercings and all of the things hanging out every part of their body. I don't even want to know where they've got piercings. They've got them all over the place. Listen, go to the book of Revelation and you will find that in the tribulation that the Antichrist makes sure that those who belong to him, they have a mark. Cattle have a brand. We, that is a mark that describes ownership. See, there's something about this mutilation. What, why? Because everything that Satan is about is about destruction, death. Therefore, when somebody is mutilating, they are marking, that they are hurting, they are destroying. They are basically, in a sense here, showing who owns them. 
the king of death, the king of destruction. Notice number three. Not only did he do that, but number three, he cried for no reason. Mark chapter 5 and verse number 5 says that this demoniac man, this man that was possessed, he continually cried. You know, I meet people all the time that cry. Just on Monday of this week, I uh, went and visited my granddaughter. I've, I've got a, a five-month-old granddaughter, and you know what? She does cry. She does cry. Now, I have to be honest to say, oftentimes she cries for a reason. She's hungry, you know, or she's wet. You know, there might be, you know, something poking her. There, there could be a reason. But, but, you know, this guy here, he didn't just simply cry once in a while. It says he cried all the time. You know what, I meet people all the time that are continually sad, depressed, totally, I mean, filled with sadness. They are so discouraged. And the sad thing is, many of them are in church. They come to church where, and they, they sing about the joy of the Lord, and then they go out and they are just crying all the time. If you cannot have the joy of the Lord in between church services, there's something wrong. You know, you happen to have a great spirit. I love your singing. I love your friendliness. But if that's the extent of your joy, then there's something wrong. You're missing something. He was sad all the time, cried for no reason. Cried for, by the way, you realize I, uh, one, of, one of the reasons why we don't need to cry is because the Bible says one day God's going to wipe away all the tears. We've got a no-crying future. We've got a no-tear future. And, and we don't have to worry about that. Boy, that ought to get us excited. This man here, he was crying all the time for no reason. Number four, he was unclothed. He was unclothed. Mark chapter 5 also describes, in fact, verse number 15, after Jesus healed him, we find this demoniac, this man sitting and clothed. In other words, he had to be unclothed before. He was, in, in this sense here, uh, he, he was, he was a, a, a naked guy, uh, no clothing at all. Do, do you know, by the way, what the Bible says the Christian should be clothed with? The Bible says in 1 Peter 5, verse 5, the Bible says, be ye clothed with humility. You know what, I would submit to you that if you are lacking humility or you come around people lacking humility, it's an indication a seducing spirit has gotten in their life. Well, I'll tell you what, that's a, that's a big problem today. Big problem today, humble. Boy, we, we just don't like to do that. And, and, and there's, a, there, there's a real thing. Uh, about this thing of humility that is so lacking in people today. Uh, that's why the Bible even commands us, and Paul in 1 Corinthians 10 and verse number 12 says, Wherefore let him that thinketh he stand to take heed lest he fall. The Bible says that pride goeth before destruction and haughty spirit before a fall. Pride be clothed with humility. If you don't have the, 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 the humility, it's an indication maybe that seducing spirit's gotten in your life. By the way, was that true with Peter before he fell? Oh, yes, wasn't it? Remember, he put his foot in his mouth. He said, oh, I will never again be careful. No wonder Jesus so easily spotted and said, get thee behind me, Satan. See, Jesus had seen that before. 
I will, I will, I will, I will. He had heard that back in Isaiah 14. When Lucifer tried to get God out of the way and become like God and God himself. See, that pride, that's, that's I'll I tell you something as well. I know we're about out of time here, but raising our children, our children, there were two things we emphasized with our kids with big spankings. And by big spankings, I'm not talking about anything abusive, but I'm just simply talking about as far as an emphasis. And my kids grew up, there were two things especially that I, I, Valerie and I, we talked about this, two things above everything else we don't want our kids to become. And I said, two things, kids, you'll you get a big spanking if you are rebellious or if you lie, both of which are connected with pride. Oh, listen, we need to be clothed with humility. Let me give you the last point we'll be through. Notice as well, he was unsettled. Notice he was unsettled. In Mark chapter 5, verse 15, it says that after he was healed, he was seated. Uh, seated. Uh, he was settled in a sense here. Uh, you know, sitting down in a seated position. You know what? I find that folks today are not settled. People today are agitated. People today are fidgety. A lot of people in church. Got to hurry up. I find that true. <laughs> I, I remember we used to have a guy in church, and, and he was in charge, of the, uh, in charge of the children's churches. We soon ended that. But he used to go up to the children's church preacher, and as soon as he thought the guy was supposed to be done, he'd point to his watch, and he'd point to his watch like this and say, Stop, stop. You know what that meant to this guy that was preaching? Keep on going, keep on going, keep on going. But, you know, he was always just unsettled. It wasn't long, by the, by the way, before he criticized so many things about the church that he left the church. By the way, when revival comes, and I, I'm going to quit, but when revival comes, don't tell God, God, hurry up, I've got to get going to the next thing. Don't, don't tell God to stop. You tell God to stop, he will stop but you will have ended your spiritual growth. See, he was unsettled. He was unsettled. I'm going to talk about here tomorrow night the 18 doors that allow demonic strongholds into our lives, seducing spirits into our lives. Tonight, basically what I've said is that there are these things called seducing spirits. The Bible says that in the latter times, some shall depart from the body of what they believed, how do they do it? They give heed to seducing spirits. Satan gets strongholds in our lives. Let's make sure he doesn't do that. Father, I pray that you'd speak to our hearts. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for just even giving us a, an opportunity to study this tonight. And I pray that you'd be so good to us that, Lord, you would grant to us a measure of discernment here tonight. And, Lord, probe our hearts. Uh, Lord, we open our hearts Search me and try me, O oh Lord. I pray that tonight you'd help each and every one of us to realize how easy it is. If, if, if Peter, that story scares me. If Peter could fall, then I could fall. If David could fall, then I could fall. Lord, I, I hardly read a story in the Bible that I don't read about a great man falling. Lord, I believe it comes back to this thing of seducing spirits. 
And Lord, I pray that we would realize that the devil is out there. He's got an army, an army that wants us. Satan had desired to have us, that he may sift us as wheat. Lord, I pray that you just help us to do business here. And we'll thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to close really quick tonight, but before we do that, we, we need to do something as a people. Something Pastor said early on in the message that hit me, hit me hard, and I figured that's, that's the main mission that he has. Luke, 30, Luke 22, 31, I think, was the reference he used. And, and I've always known the italicized words were added by the translators for our help and understanding. When you pulled those two words out, you came up with Satan has desired you. Now, everybody look at me. Everybody look at me. We are fools beyond comprehension if we do not think that that verse is directed to us today. That Satan not just has desired you, but folk, let me tell you something. Satan is desiring you. And he is attacking those, 1 Peter, seeking whom he may devour. And I've thought about that a lot. He's looking for the ones who are weak. He's looking for the ones who are open. He is looking for the ones who, like Pastor has said tonight, when their mind is not guarded or protected, we are opening ourselves up for these attacks and for this demonization. Here's what I think we need to do tonight. We just need to take a moment in and of our own selves and we'll bow our heads and we'll pray and ask the Lord to help us understand the truths of God's Word, help us to take these things to heart, and help us not to fall to this demonization. My sister wrote us a letter this week, actually wrote it to Lisa. And she said, she said, I'm just so sad. There's nothing happy in my life. She asked my wife, she said, tell me how I can be happy. She she just got re-saved a couple of months ago. That didn't make her happy. I know exactly what her problem is. You're going to tell me tomorrow night that she has opened up a door and there has been an attack of demon or Satan upon her, and from that, I will be more clear to tell her what she needs to do to help her. Do not be foolish that, that you're in a place where you can't open a door. Do not be foolish that you are in a place where you cannot be, whether, whatever you call it, demonized or oppressed, or we don't believe in Christian's possession, but you understand, don't be foolish. Because I, I look in our congregation and I'm your, I'm your pastor, I'm your shepherd, under shepherd. I, I am thinking even tonight of those who are dealing with situations and this is, this is the key right here. We've opened up doors. So let's do this. Let's, no one knows what we're saying, but on our own, let's ask God to help us tonight prepares for these next few days. And, I, and, I, and I, my heart is breaking because I believe there are some right on the edge of doing what that other fella did 
because he would not repent. He would not get things right. He allowed those doors to open. He quit, and now his life is ruined. My beloved folks, not only I, but our dear Savior does not want you to ruin your life. You are not beyond this situation and ruin, and I am not beyond it. But in Christ, and understanding these truths that preacher has come all this way to tell us, it will help us. Amen? So let's pray, and let's just talk to the Lord, and we'll dismiss. And you pray on your own as you need. Heavenly Father, as we close the service tonight, and I want to thank you so much for, for preacher be, that he has come and that he has brought this exact message and theme that he'll be covering these next couple of days. Lord, our, our churches and our Christian people are suffering much today, and I really believe it's because of this topic right here, that we've opened doors and that we've allowed attacks. And Lord, there are men who can't get faults out of their life, and there are there are people who can't get bitterness and can't get other things because, Lord, we've opened up doors and there's demons, I believe, that are driving those things. Father, I pray that you will help us tonight. Oh, God, I pray that there will be, there will be freedom, there will be relinquishing. Lord, as the conference is called, I pray there will be surrendering to Christ throughout this weekend. Lord, help us. In Jesus' name, amen. We are going to close. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Hmm. Okay. Here's what we'll do. It's Friday night. What are we going to go home? You're, you're, you're just going to go home and watch the news or pop in a DVD anyway. So here's what we'll do. We'll pray for Jonathan Taylor. His wife is getting ready to have the baby. This lady's getting ready to have a baby. Her kidneys are shutting down. The baby's intestines have come outside the body. And this is a major, major issue. And we prayed for them on Wednesday night. We're going to pray again right now. You need to take that name, Jonathan Taylor, Mrs. Taylor, Baby Taylor. You need to take that to the Lord and ask God to do a miracle there and work in, work in that family's life. For a healthy baby, yes. But for the salvation of souls, more importantly. Amen. Father, I pray for Jonathan Taylor and Mrs. Taylor and that little baby. God, I pray that you would you would perform that miracle if that if that if it